0: I love mountains, I love the mountains, I love living in Colorado, I love being able to climb mountains, and there's just something so profound, of course, when you get on top of a mountain, uh, especially the beautiful 14ers we have here in Colorado, when you get on top and you can see a full 360 degree view of that around you, the horizon, the beauty, and I think many of us have similar Uh, experience of the mountains, similar desires to go to the mountains, to be in the mountains. Part of that desire, right, is this experience of the transcendence, that something is greater than me. And I think oftentimes we like to go to the mountains to experience God's beauty, God's beauty in nature that he has created, experience that transcendence, And one of the things that we see in transcendence in the mountains is that we are not in control. A storm can come out of nowhere, right? Just a few months ago, uh, before I started here, um, I was able to hike a few 14ers, and uh, one of the ones I was hiking uh, out in the San Juans, me and a, a few buddies of mine, right, go camping, we wake up early, 3.30 a.m., beautiful stars, and you start early to go and avoid the storms. And we knew storms were rolling in. The weather report said 11 a.m. You can probably see where this is going. And so we wake up early, we start hiking, we get to this beautiful basin right at sunrise, which is like the perfect time to get into these basins because the hardest part, you want the sunlight to be on uh, the best. You know That way you're not just hiking from your, your headlamp. And so we get up there, we're hiking up this gully to get up to the ridge and beautiful weather, blue sky, the sun is shining, we're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, uh, we get to the top of the peak and all of a sudden we look out past the side that we couldn't see and it is just dark clouds, almost as if Mordor is coming right towards us. And we look at each other and we say, we have to get off this mountain right now. So we turn around, we summit the 14er, turn around and we just start running. And we get to the goalie and then it starts hailing on us and snowing on us. And um, you know, so we get down, uh, we made it safe. But I think what's so profound about some of these experiences is that we're not in control, that we have this sense of our poverty, this sense of, uh, The transcendence of God, the transcendence of something that's greater than me. These mountaintop experiences that can be so beautiful, so transformative, and so powerful for us. Today's gospel, Jesus goes on the mountain. Did you catch that? Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, and then Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. The mountaintop experience, the experience experience of the transcendence, the experience of the divine, right? Throughout scripture, we have these mountains, we have these mountaintops in which incredible things happen. We think of even the creation of the world. We know that the Garden of Eden was probably on a mountain because it says four rivers flowed out from the center. So it must be on a hill, a mountain, a pinnacle of some sort. We think of Mount Sinai. We think of Noah's Ark. We think of Abraham going up the mountain with his son Isaac. We think of holy Mount Zion. These mountains are a place of transcendence, a place in which we encounter the living God. And in today's gospel, we see that. Jesus goes up on the mountain, and the people have a transcendence Experience an experience of the divine through the feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous feeding. Today's gospel, of course, comes from the Gospel of John, uh, which is interesting because uh, throughout the liturgical calendar, right, we have year A, B, and C. We're currently in year B, and, it, you know, it goes Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospel, gospels. And currently we're in year B, so the Gospel of Mark, But the church, in her wisdom, pauses us from listening to Mark's gospel and turns us toward the gospel of John, particularly John 6, which is the bread of life discourse. You see, the synoptic gospels don't include the bread of life discourse. What's unique about John is that he has this bread of life discourse, and many people will say John is not focused on the Eucharist. The gospel of John has nothing to do with the Eucharist. You see, the Synoptic Gospels, they include what's called the institution narrative, right? Where uh, they, they talk about, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about what happened at the Last Supper. Jesus takes the bread, breaks it, and giving it to his apostles says, take this, all of you, and eat of it. The actual events of the Last Supper. John doesn't talk about the Last Supper in the same way. The only mention of the Last Supper is he has the washing of the disciples' feet. And so a lot of people, commentaries, scripture commentators will say, John does not care about the Eucharist. He doesn't include it. Well, think again, because we have John chapter 6, which we will be going over over the next five weeks. If you have never prayerfully read through John chapter 6, I encourage you to do so. The Bread of Life discourse, it's very Very powerful Jesus gives us this mountaintop experience today in our gospel the beginning of the bread of life discourse and I want to take this mountaintop experience and compare it to the mass because the mass which we come to is also a mountaintop experience where we experience Jesus as the source and summit of our life where we get to receive His body, His blood, His soul, and divinity. This mountaintop experience where we are transformed into His likeness by what He gives to us. In fact, in our gospel today, it's precisely the movement of the Mass that's happening. Because what happens in Mass? We have the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. In today's Gospel, we see that. Jesus went up the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Why did Jesus sit? It seems like a minuscule detail, but yet John includes it. You see, sitting down was the posture of the teacher. We think of the great philosophers of the world who would sit down to teach their disciples the disciples sit at the master's feet. We think of our own bishop, or any bishop, who, when they are in the cathedral, they sit in their cathedra, their special chair, in which only bishops can actually be seated when they give homilies. If you ever see me being seated giving a homily, you should let the bishop know I'm trying to impersonate him. That would not be good. Bishops have the authority in a more full way, and so they're able to sit and teach. It's the posture of the teacher. When we come to mass, we have the liturgy of the word. We sit and we listen to Jesus and to God opening the scriptures for us. We think of Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, where it says Jesus interpreted all of the scriptures for them. Indeed, we come to mass during the liturgy of the word and we listen And allow the words of God, the words of the of the Word of God, the living Word of God, to transform us to pierce our hearts. And the priest, then, in the person of Christ, is called to break open the Word, to break open the Scriptures, and hopefully give new light. Hopefully, I can't promise that I do that all the time. So, this mountaintop experience—we have the liturgy of the Word. Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples just like we do at the Liturgy of the Word, listening to him. And then we have the Liturgy of the Eucharist, right? And that's what we see as well in our gospel today. Jesus takes the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were reclining. All he had were two fish and five barley loaves. What seems to be insufficient and not enough, Jesus takes, transforms, and gives back so that others might be nourished, might be fed, might have life in him through his nourishment. This is the liturgy of the Eucharist. Jesus takes what we bring, bread and wine, transforms them, transubstantiates them into his body his blood he takes what's ordinary makes it extraordinary so that he can feed us with the bread of eternal life so that through this gift we might become like him but what connects the liturgy of the word with the liturgy of the eucharist what connects them It's that time in Mass where after the creed, after the prayers of the faithful, where we all sit down and those people come around with those baskets begging for money. That's what connects the two, the offeratory, where we're called to offer of ourselves, our gifts, our joys, our sufferings, our wants, our needs, where we offer them and place them at the foot of the altar. For the priest, who is Jesus Christ in the Mass, to offer to the Father so that God can take those gifts, those two fish, those five barley loaves, whatever we bring to him, our very selves, so that he can take those gifts, the priest through as Jesus, offering them to the Father. God then transformed those gifts, transubstantiates those gifts, making what was ordinary into what was extraordinary so that he can give us life and 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 help us to grow into His likeness. The offertory I find to be a very very powerful time, and so easy to get distracted by what's going on. But let us take and let us offer our very selves, our very lives, our wants, our needs, everything that we want to give to Jesus, so that He can offer it to the Father, transform it and give it back to us tenfold, 30fold, 60fold, even a hundredfold as the scriptures say. I love our first reading as well, right? We have the prophet Elisha, and Elisha tells us or shows us what we ought to offer to God. So a man came to Elisha and gave 20 barley loaves made from what? from first fruits. Aha. Right? That's what we're supposed to offer to God. Not our leftovers, not what's second, not what's last, but our first fruits. And God takes those barley, barley loaves made from the first fruits and fresh grain in the ear, gives it to the people to eat, and once they have eaten, some was even left over, just like in our gospel. 12 wicker baskets full. You see, oftentimes we can struggle to offer our first fruits. But yet we know that God will bless us when we give generously of ourselves. We think of Abel and Cain. And God accepted Abel the just sacrifice. Why? Because it was the first fruits. It wasn't secondary, but it was first. Same thing when those baskets are passed around. We're called to offer what is first, not just what's left over in our pocket from last night's dinner or whatever. We're called to offer first fruits. Same with our very selves, our very life. We're not just called to offer small, minuscule things, but we're called to offer our whole self, our first, everything that it takes Everything of who we are, we're called to offer our first fruits. We must offer to God our first fruits so that he will take them, transform them, offer them back to us so that we can be transformed into his likeness. I'd like to close with just a brief kind of reflection on our second reading. Our second reading from St. Paul to the Ephesians. St. Paul today is talking about unity, the importance of unity in the church. Right? He says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another through love, striving to persevere the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace one body and one spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. This unity, Saint Paul exhorts us exhorts us that we are called to a union with God. But he's also showing us that the church is meant to be unified, that God only started one church. One church in Christ, one faith, one baptism. Because God himself is one, right? Three persons, one God, a unity. When we come to Mass, this mountaintop experience, we experience the sacrament of unity. The Eucharist is that which draws us all together across the whole world, even in the Eastern Catholic traditions to the roman catholic tradition we are one body united in christ through the eucharist And i think this is very very important to understand today because the source of unity the challenge right now is is it becoming the source of division i think with pope francis's new modu proprio is challenging us are we thinking of the sacrament of unity is it truly unifying us? Or are we allowing gossip and slander and detraction and doubt and disobedience, are we allowing that to cause division in our hearts and our churches? The source of unity in the church is the Eucharist. May we allow it to continue to be so. So my brothers and sisters, as we approach the altar today, Let us bring to God all our many petitions, our needs, our wants, our gifts, our very selves, our lives. Let us lay them down at the foot of the altar. Let us give them to God so that today he might transform them, transubstantiate them, offering them back to us that we might receive his divine grace through this sacrament of unity in which we are unified in Christ today.